Okay, so this is our Simon Don reading group, uh, continuing our discussion of individuation, volume two, and we're still reading history of the notion of the individual within that volume. Um, <clears throat> so last week we we saw the um, the sort of post-Socratic philosophers, the Megarian school and the Cynics, um, and uh, so Simon Don analyzes some of the um, sophisms or these sort of of um, uh, arguments that are uh, kind of paradoxes or um, uh, lead to uh, that th these invalid arguments that lead to these um, paradoxical conclusions. Um, so the uh, so Raji's paradox, which is has to do with um, big, big terms or terms that involve some sort of continuity. Uh, so the the um, primary example is the the notion of a heap. Uh, so a heap of, of grain, uh, if you remove one grain from it, it's still a heap. And if you remove another grain, it's still a heap. And if you keep removing one grain at a time, uh, eventually you're left with just one grain, uh, which should still be a heap um, if removing one grain from a heap doesn't change its heapness. Uh, and so um, th this type of argument was sort of characteristic of, of some of these uh, post-Socratic schools. Um, and they they also uh, on the ethical side were tended to be um, uh, uh, kind of um, individualists in the sense that they were not interested in the political life of the uh, Greek city state. They were um, oriented towards um, they they had this idea of um, sort of liberating the individual from uh, social conventions, which are treated as something that constrain the individual um, and and so that's um, sort of the general orientation of the post-Socratic um, philosophers uh, you know with variations depending on the the different schools that that arose um, and then Simundo makes a transition to uh, another uh, sort of period in uh, the history of the ancient world when you see um, with Alexander the Great and um, the sort of post-Alexander uh, uh, kingdoms, you have, instead of having these independent city-states, you now have these uh, large uh, empires or kingdoms that incorporate multiple, um, multiple cities, multiple different linguistic groups or peoples, uh, religions, constitutions, and so on. Um, and... Um, there's this constant change going on within these uh, these empires and kingdoms where you have different dynasties take over and you know one kingdom conquers another and so on. Uh, and so this sort of social environment, Simon Don argues, is, is sort of conducive to understanding the individual in dynamic terms as opposed to static terms. Instead of... Um, instead of trying to understand what an individual is in terms of its incorporation into an order of simultaneity, we instead want to understand the individual in accordance with its insertion into an order of uh, uh, succession or of becoming. And so we want to understand how, what is it that, um, that uh, unifies an individual or its life or of its history or whatever, um, whatever we want to use. Um, and so that transition leads to the Stoics. The, the Stoics um, were one of the 
major schools of the Hellenistic and Roman period. Um, they they develop um, an ethics that has to do with um, a, a sort of uh, acceptance of destiny or of um, uh, um, providence is another term that they use. Um, so they understand um, the universe as being um, uh, sort of organized in accordance with uh, a divine uh, plan or, or providence or order of, of some kind. Um, and um, wisdom or uh, the uh, ethical life consists in inserting yourself into that order and sort of um, accepting that order uh, and not trying to, to change it. Um, but at the same time, there's this notion within Stoicism of the cosmopolitanism, uh, which is a term that sort of arises in Stoic philosophy, um, which the, the literal meaning of, of cosmopolitan is um, uh, an inhabitant of the universe, or um, uh, someone who sort of whose whose polis, whose whose uh, state is the universe, rather than one sort of limited um, city. Uh, and and so the Stoics um, had a, a sort of alliance or a, a general um, favorability towards the uh, these emperors and kings and the rulers of all these um, large states that arise in the Hellenistic and, and Roman era, uh, they, they view these uh, large, um, large states as being sort of approximations towards um, a universal order or a universal uh, government or, or something along those lines. Uh, so they, they see this um, cosmopolitanism uh, as being aligned with these large states that incorporate um, many different peoples. Uh, and then Simon Don um, goes into some details about the Stoic physics, which is um, actually very interesting, I think. Um, um, it, uh, so in contrast to um, the, the physics of uh, Plato or, or Aristotle, um, we have uh, a notion of um, interpenetration of bodies so uh, and mixtures. Um, so something, the, the sort of stock example that the Stoics used was uh, if you pour wine into water, the, the wine suffuses the water and um, every portion of that mixture contains uh, both, both wine and water. It's not, it's not the case that um, you can sort of separate out particles of wine from particles of water. Every, every portion, no matter how small, contains both wine and water. Uh, and this, they took this as a sort of model of um, uh, of uh, what the universe is like. So uh, the universe is composed of different bodies that interpenetrate each other. Uh, and in particular, there's this pneuma, the breath, um, which is a sort of principle of action and energy in the universe, which sort of um, uses everything and makes it uh, makes it active and um, makes it, uh, puts it into motion. Um, and we'll see more about the relationship between this physics and uh, the, the notion of the individual today. Um, let's see, was there anything else to, uh, to mention uh, before we start? Yeah, okay, let's, let's start. Um, so yeah, Angus, if you want to read. Um, each singular body therefore owes its individuality neither to its internal geometric structure nor to its place in the order of simultaneity of beings, but instead to the proper mixture that characterizes it. 
It is idiosyncrasy in the proper sense of the term, a temporal series of the influences, also in the proper sense that it has undergone, is within it as constitutive of its idiosyncrasy. Its entire past existence is really contained in it materially or at least corp corporeally. To know what a singular being is, one must know the series of the successive instants of its existence in time, or at least the drama of the successive passions that have influenced it. Since this succession of passions is different for each being, the individuality of a being is constituted by a singularity. There is indeed a proper quality of each being, its idioma, that corresponds to the idiosyncrasy. The proper and somewhat personal quality, this proper and somewhat personal quality always distinguishes one being from every other. This quality is what allows fantasia to be fantasia catalectica, comprehensive representation, i.e., according to Zeno, quote, the representation imprinted in the soul based on a real object and in conformity with this real object, such that it would not exist if it did not come from a real object, unquote. This comprehensive representation uh, produces a true perception with the same necessity that a weight lowers the tray of a scale. Knowledge is this relation of an object which is real and recognized as real due to its individual singularity to a subject that is equally real and individual. In this theory, no matter what may constitute knowledge, relation has the value of being, for it is so solely corporeal, and it modifies terms materially. It is not a simple rapport. It is defined, it is definitively inscribed in the terms by becoming an integral part of their idiosyncrasy. Intellectual elaboration can only consist in the grasping of the sensible object. One can only abstract, add, compose, transpose, while never getting out of sensible givens. The propositions obtained in this way do not express a rapport between concepts. Their subject is always singular, and the attribute is always a verb, i.e. something that happens to the subject. The matter of dialectics consists in the stated facts of singular subjects. The syllogism is a rapport between facts, each of which is expressed by a simple proposition and the rapport of which is expressed by a composite judgment. The logical bond is always expressed as a bond observed between facts and stated by language. This notion of fact, which governs the entirety of Stoic philosophy, is extremely important for the conception of the individual. The individual is the being that results from a series of facts organized into a drama. There is no longer a distinction between, the subs between substance and accidents in the individual. The being is what it is, or rather, it is what it has been. The fact of being what it was no longer refers to a permanent quiddity, but to the novelty of an indefinite. Right, so here we have some uh, sort of sketch of uh, some of the Stoic logical uh, doctrines, which are also um, pretty interesting, uh, which um, have uh, some differences from Aristotle's doctrine um, and some of the uh, logical terms that we use today. So if you take a, a sort of intro logic course, you'll, you'll um, learn about modus ponens, which is the inference um, if A then B, A therefore B. Um, uh, this is sort of the, the basic rule that any logical system more or less has to include. Um, this term modus ponens comes from Stoic logic. Uh, and um, uh, so the Stoic logic um, uh, has a, a relationship to the, the, the logic and the physics and the epistemology are all sort of intertwined with each other because um, it's a, a logical system of, um, uh, that involves um, the knowledge of individuals in a way that Aristotle's is not. Um, so Aristotle's logical system, um, you, you're always in
inferring things about um, you, you know all um, you have propositions like all men are mortal, um, which which has to do with um, men in general, um, and uh, those are the types of propositions that you are reasoning about in Aristotelian logic. But for in Stoic logic, you um, you have um, uh, this more sort of um, um, individual uh, reasoning process, uh, and this is connected with the epistemology because there's this notion of knowledge as a real relationship between entities, so between the knowing subject and the object known. Um, and so there's this fantasia, this um, image of the object, which is uh, a, an effect of the object on the, the subject. Um, and uh, there's a sort of um, a real process that occurs in which the, the subject uh, comes to have this fantasia, um, and and this is also connected with the way that for uh, the Stoics, the individual uh, is, is sort of made up of the history of that individual, um, and, and this applies to human individuals, but also to physical objects or or whatever. Um, rather than having something like a, a a substance in which various properties in here, like in the Aristotelian physics, we instead have um, uh, an individual made up of uh, a series of events. Um, so things happen to uh, uh, an individual, or, or the individual does things. That, these are events, and they sort of string together to make up the life history of this individual. Uh, and and so there's no um, there's no sort of um, uh, underlying subject in which all the properties are and uh, the properties come to uh, come to in here or or disappear from the subject. It's it's always um, it's always just these series of events that are linked together, and in particular also in connection with epistemology and logic, um, the Stoics hold that. Uh, knowledge is always or uh, intellectual activity in general is always sort of operating on the sensible on these fantasia um so you um you never um uh, as opposed to the aristotelian doctrine which involves something like abstraction from the sensible so you um you see a tree and you see another tree and then you abstract from the um uh, what is, you, you sort of grasp what is common to the two trees and, and then you have the concept of tree. Um, that's the sort of Aristotelian picture. Uh, whereas for the Stoics, um, you're always um, sort of uh, operating on sensible uh, images uh, in various ways. You add them together or you mix them or whatever. You, you do things to them. Uh, and, and that's um, what knowledge or, or thinking or uh, intellectual activity in general consists in. Uh, I don't want to like take us too far afield, but I, I don't totally understand how the the individual can be conceived as like a series of events. Like uh, I don't really get what distinguishes an event that happens to or that composes one individual versus an event that happens happens to or composes another. If there's nothing to which the event happens, um, so we can think of it as um, this sort of well. So the, the big picture is that there's really only just one individual, which is the universe. Um, 
the the universe is the only true individual in the sense that it is something um, sort of self-subsistent and uh, that doesn't depend on everything else, uh, doesn't depend on anything else. Um, so within the universe, the bodies that we call, you know, human bodies or, or stones or horses or whatever, um, these are sort of quasi-individuals. They, um, they uh, have a, a certain um, continuity of existence. So a horse from one instant to the next doesn't suddenly become a dog or a stone or whatever. Um, there's a, a continuity of existence from one moment to the next in the life history of the horse. But um, this continuity is, is sort of... Um, uh, is is a sort of um, uh, continuity over um, an ongoing process. So the horse, uh, as this individual horse, is just um, a, a sort of one chain of events that occur throughout, the, you know, from conception to death of this horse. Um, it's, it's just this con continuous series of uh, transformations um, and. Uh, invariance of those transformations that occurs over the course of time. Um, and and so there's a, a difference in kind between the individuality of the universe, which is a, a, a full individuality, um, and then the individuality of um, uh, bodies within the universe, which is only a sort of partial individuality because bodies always interpenetrate each other and transform each other. Okay, thank you. That That kind of makes sense. Yeah, and, and so this, like, it, it's a very different doctrine than the um, Aristotelian doctrine, which is more sort of um, common sense uh, based, I suppose, where you think of objects as entities that subsist through time and then properties as um, uh, inhering in objects and um, being, you know, pro uh, an object can gain or lose properties while remaining the object it is. Um, uh, and so th this is a, a sort of common sense conception that, uh, that uh, Aristotle systematizes. Um, and then the, the, uh, the Stoic conception, on the other hand, is um, uh, a much more revisionary conception. So it, it sort of tr wants to transform our conception of the world and um, uh, propose a, a different model um, in which uh, it's this incorporation into the universe, which is sort of the... Uh, uh, what defines individuals, so how they interact with other entities and how they undergo transformations over time is, is what defines an individual. Okay, so let's go on to the next bit. Um, let's see, where did we end? Uh, I think you read the sentence, the individual is the being that is constituted, etc. I think you ended there, if uh, I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Or, no, sorry, the, the next one. Uh, yes. Uh, well, oh, wait, maybe there, let's, let's start from there and we'll no, you're right. go from there. Okay. The individual is the being that is constituted by a singular drama and accumulates within itself in its idiosyncrasy the substance of all these events, all these relations that transform into being because they are corporeal. Facts are all that exist, and the individual is not merely the result, but the corporeal product of a series of facts. It is like time condensed in a body. In this vision of the world, relation is an exchange of being, a contribution of being, a total mixture. At any rate, the notion of substance in the Hellenic sense is destroyed, since every accident contributes substance, which is incorporated into already existing substance by mixing with it. 
spiritualism and materialism coincide in this doctrine because the total mixture can be considered as a type of relation that is valid both for two matters as for a matter and a spiritual principle. The relation between a, a passive body and an active body prefigures that of a soul and a body, whether the soul be conceived as corporeal or incorporeal. Its role is in fact that of activity, which expands throughout due to the total mixture and not that of a passivity, which is relegated to the body. This theory turns the individual into a fact or a result of a series of facts. It gives the individual an absolute singularity, but takes away from it its return to itself as an active capacity of creating itself and defining itself. The individual becomes the subject of states rather than acts. Its activity is a result of relation rather than an initiative. For the individual is only alive to the extent that it can still, still accommodate other facts and events that will mix new inputs with its substance. It is perpetually itself and other than itself, whence results in ethics a sort of splitting of the being relative to itself. There is the individual qua singularity, and there is also what happens to the individual. Nevertheless, the individual is indeed formed by the ensemble of what has happened to it, but a sort of privilege of interiority is created in favor of what has already happened in the past, and thereby forms part of the individual. Thus, to found ethical theory, the Stoic is forced to introduce a blunt distinction between the things that depend on us and those that do not. Ta ephemin, ta uk ephemin. However, this distinction is fake because in the cosmos, everything is in everything, and everything is linked together. Universal unity is broken for the needs of action. What must be designated are limits, artificial ones if necessary, to the de jure individual, the individual who will accept becoming responsible for himself. This de jure individual consequently becomes distinct from de facto individuality, which is singular and always in becoming. Person, the mask that creates a stability of the rule, appears over the individual and transforms the temporal series into a rapport of simultaneity between different roles constituting the drama. The word drama itself has a double meaning. This is because drama, for the spectator who is not forewarned, is at every moment something new in the appearance of Peripateas. Uh, but the protagonist, and especially for the author, this order is in fact an order of simultaneity. Necessity reappears at the heart of becoming. Furthermore, the Stoic theory, if only due to this distinction between what depends on us and what does not depend on us, introduces the notion of adiaphora, indifferent terms of action which are neither good nor bad and which do not allow for a motivated decision. Uh, I'll stop here because this is a multi-page paragraph. Um, right, so... Uh, this is sort of continuing what we were talking about a little bit earlier about this notion of the individual as being um, sort of uh, only only a, a quasi-individual. Um, so the individual is incorporated into the universe and undergoes transformation and um, is subject to um, influences from arising from without, from other bodies, and, and um, really... It not even influences is the right term because other bodies penetrate um, any given body. Um, all bodies are intermingled with each other, and um, um, this mixture is how is what sort of constitutes the life history of of that individual. Um, and what um, is sort of um, uh, a difficulty for Stoicism is then to um, extract an ethical theory from this uh, doctrine of the individual as sort of arising from the mixture of, of states and um, this chain of events that constitute an individual, uh, because in their ethical theory they want to um, make this strict distinction between what depends on me and what does not depend on me. Uh, and, and so... Um, 
what I can be responsible for and what I can control is what depends on me. And then what um, I can't control and what I can't be held responsible for is what does not depend on me. And ethical life um, should uh, be oriented towards um, taking charge of what depends on me um, and uh, sort of ignoring or, or not concerning oneself with things that don't depend on me. So um, I shouldn't worry about... Um, you know, receiving honors or, you know, being famous or um, receiving the approval of others because all those things don't depend on me. What I should worry about is uh, sort of cultivating my own virtue and my own um, uh, sort of inner um, qualities in a way that doesn't depend on others. Uh, but if you compare this ethical doctrine uh, to, to the physical doctrine, um, then... Um, it, it's sort of hard to figure out how you can make this strict distinction between what depends on me and what does not depend on me. Um, because in the physical sense, everything sort of depends on everything else. Everything is interpenetrating and uh, transforming each other. Uh, so there's this difficulty of how we can uh, provide a physical basis for the ethical distinction between what depends on me and what does not depend on me. Uh, and so Simon Don, um suggest here that uh, what is sort of lacking in the Stoic doctrine of the individual is something like a notion of recurrence or um, um, self-reference or self-regulation uh, self or something along those lines. Uh, and so we've seen in volume one of this book the importance of these kinds of notions um, to his, his understanding of the individual. Uh, but so in the, the Stoic um, uh, conception of the individual, there's nothing like um, a self-orientation or self-regulation of the individual. The individual is just subject to a series of transformations, um, and it, uh, wisdom just consists in sort of accepting those transformations uh, as they happen, and um, um, there's no sort of sense in which the individual is uh, sort of uh, meant to um, take charge of their their own destiny or to make decisions and uh, orient themselves in various ways and so on. Uh, and then the next um, important concept that, that Simon Dome brings in here is this notion of a persona or a role. Um, and this was um, another, the, the persona was a, an important um, stoic concept. Um, and the literal meaning of persona is a, a mask, uh, like the mask that a, um, an actor wears in Greek uh, drama. And um, so the, the, your social role or your insertion into the social order is conceived as a kind of um, mask that you wear. Um, and so you, you uh, put on a, a certain role and you play a, a, this role in relation to others that are playing different roles. Um, and you, um, you uh, have to understand, um, uh, so Simondo argues that we, we have to understand this persona or this role as uh, something in the order of simultaneity as opposed to the order of succession. So um, for the spectator of a, of a play or uh, of a, a drama of some kind, the, the, the events sort of happen in succession and you don't necessarily know what's coming next. And so the organization of the drama is one in the order of succession. Uh, but for the, um, 
for the author of the drama, um, there's uh, there's this uh, order of simultaneity. So the the um, the author organizes the drama uh, as a whole and not sort of just as a sequence of events that happen to different uh, personas or something along those lines. Um, so um, this notion of the persona uh, kind of um, nullifies in to some extent the the notion of the individual as this um, sequence of events and uh, something about, uh, constituted in the order of becoming. Uh, it, it sort of reinserts the individual into the order of simultaneity. Uh, as, uh, th that's what Simon Don is arguing here. Okay, so let's continue um, from instead of being the rigorous ordering. Instead of being the rigorous ordering of becoming, wisdom becomes a state, a sort of fact. The primordial dynamism condemns itself and destroys itself. As soon as Sophos has come to knowledge, to wisdom, it is syntonic relative to becoming. And this harmony no longer ceases. It is united by will with respect to the cosmos, which it accepts and desires. It wills what happens. But this state of syntony cannot be attained incrementally according to a progress in time. Harmony is effectuated in a single stroke. The phallos, uh, the mediocre, who are not taught enough to be able to resonate with the rhythm of the universe, neither make it to wisdom, never make it to wisdom. There are no degrees in the acquisition of wisdom. Just as pups who have never seen the light of day would never know what light was if they died before opening their eyes, and just as the swimmer who is sinking uh, but almost reaches the surface also drowns just as fatally whether a foot or 20 fathoms below, the man who has not realized within himself the appropriate tension for resonating with the rhythm of the universe remains as much a miserable wretch as he would as he would have been if he had not if he had never made any effort. Merit and progress do not exist for the individual in this philosophy, which assimilates wisdom to a state, a degree of mental tension. While this theory should lead to an affirmation of the continuous, ethics is concentrated in an affirmation of the essential discontinuity of ethical states and an inexorable law of all or nothing. Ethics does not perfectly agree with physics, for which, quote, movement in each of its instances is an act and not just a passage to the act, unquote. The internal difficulty of Stoicism precisely depends on this omnipotence of fact, which evokes the thought of the Bible. The individual being does not find within himself the reason for his successive states because he is what happens to him. What happens to him is incorporated into his being. There is no return of the being's causality to himself. This pure singularity is split with respect to itself. Uh, the individual can act upon himself and contemplate himself only with respect to the mask of the role. The recurrence of causality occurs by way of an exterior path, a path which the being cannot create, but which is given to him. The being is not the one who gives value to it. It is given to him as already laden with value. This individual is far removed from the substantiality and aseity of Parmenidian being. It is easy to understand how this doctrine for quite some time was able to encounter and accompany the doctrines of Eastern Christianity. It is also easy to understand how Stoicism became the quintessential civic doctrine. The city needs the valorization of a fact. It also needs the formalism, the formalism of the rule. The notion of the pure and the impure, the chosen and the damned, the state of sin and the state of grace, is based on the interiority of the fact qua state to the exteriority of ritual formalism. Yet for the Stoics, there can be no formalism, properly speaking, Every relation, and consequently every action, and therefore every gesture, 
involves corporeal reality. The gesture is never a pure symbol. The gesture modifies what it achieves. Transubstantiation is conceivable in Stoicism precisely because the idea of substance has disappeared or at least has become quite different from what it was in Platonic geometrism, geometrism or Aristotle's thought. Similarly, the civic form of Latin Stoicism can be understood as a consequence of this real nature of relation. The mask of the role is as real as the face of the individual who bears it. This profound ambiguity of Stoicism is due to the fact that the individual is a singular being, but not a substance. All the efforts to define individual reality based on Stoic thought are burdened with this fundamental difficulty. For the individual to accomplish his fulfillment, the succession of his acts and states must be rigorously ordered. But this temporal order has to occur definitively with respect to an exterior reality, i.e. the world. Thus, a theory of time that encapsulates the succession of instants in a definite form must be created. The future itself must be part of this necessity of time. Succession becomes an uncoiling, and the life of the individual is fully contained within itself. Each being lives its destiny, and destiny is a quasi-rudentis explicatio, like the uncoiling of a cable around a capstan when sailors set out to sea. The knots, stains, accidents of the cable do, do appear when the cable uncoils. They were already contained and predetermined in the spirals coiled around the capstan. A certain artificiality remains in this life of the persona. Something remains unsatisfied in the human being who cannot be fully accepted as a given. The singularity of the individual is saved by the Stoics, but to the detriment of substantiality. Um, uh, I thought this point about the distinction between the pure and the impure and the fact of the state and ritual formalism was interesting, but I didn't totally follow uh, what he was saying there. Yeah, so um, there's a, well, maybe I'll just start by mentioning there's a, a slight um, translation um, modification that I would make here. So when, it, when it, in the translation here, it says the doctrines of Eastern Christianity, um, I think um, a, a better translation would be um, uh, what there is, the doctrines, um, uh, sorry, um, no, it doesn't actually say doctrines. Uh, it says what there is in Christianity that is uh, an Oriental import. Um, um, and the idea here is that um, within Christianity, there's um, something, um, well, there's the, the famous line, you know, render unto Caesar what, what is Caesar's, um, um, there's a certain submission to the existing uh, order in Christianity uh, in the same way as there is in Stoicism, um, that you you sort of um, insert yourself into this order and you don't um, sort of uh, try to change that order. You just play your role within the order. Um, and uh, and so Stoicism in, uh, there, in, in sort of the later Roman era, there was a kind of... Um, class division between Christianity as the lower class religion and then Stoicism as sort of the um, replacement for religion among the higher classes. Um, and they both have this um, uh, insertion into the social order in the way that they sort of accept the fact of, um, of rule of, uh, of the monarch or whoever is in charge of the, the state. Um, and um, there's also this, uh, what here Simon Don calls the formalism of the role. So this um, idea that the role sort of um, precedes the individual who, who plays it or is, is in a sense independent 
uh, of the individual who plays it. So, um, you know, your your role as emperor or slave or whatever um, is um, sort of uh, indifferent to who actually occupies that role. Um, and um, so the social order. So Simon Do is arguing here that the city or or the the state um, requires both um, this valorization of a fact, so this um, acceptance of the existing social order, and also this formalism of the rule, so this um, sort of priority of the rule over or, or indifference of the rule to who occupies it. Um, and Stoicism provides both of those things, and so this is um, uh, sort of an explanation of why it, it becomes a, a civic doctrine in a sense that um, it, it becomes sort of the quasi-official doctrine of the ruling classes in the Roman Empire. Um, but then he argues that um, there's a certain, um, uh, the, this formalism uh, of the rule in Stoicism uh, contradicts to some extent the Stoic physics, because in the Stoic physics, everything has to do with the interpenetration of bodies. Uh, and so there's nothing, there's nothing like a form uh, in the Stoic uh, physics. So it's hard to understand what status these roles have. If these roles or personas are, are real, then they should be bodies that interpenetrate with other bodies. Um, and, and so there's um, a certain tension between these two aspects of the Stoic doctrine. Um, and then another point here, is, uh, well, maybe two points. Um, so going back a little bit earlier to um, this, this idea that um, the, the, uh, the wise person, the sophos, um, they, they are, um, there's a sort of all or nothing property to wisdom. Uh, it's, not, it's not like you can sort of um, seek wisdom and you know, gain more and more wisdom and, and sort of perfect your wisdom over a, a lifespan. It's, uh, it's something that happens at a particular moment or not. Um, and, and we can compare this in, in some sense to um, certain uh, Buddhist doctrines of enlightenment of, you know, how someone is sort of suddenly struck by, uh, like in, in Zen Buddhism, especially, you have um, uh, someone suddenly achieves enlightenment after hearing a, a, a koan um, or some sort of um, uh, sudden event uh, brings about enlightenment. Uh, and again, enlightenment here is understood as something that either happens or doesn't happen. Uh, and so for the Stoics, um, there isn't a sense in which sort of pursuing wisdom is um, something that uh, implies merit uh, in its own, for its own sake. So uh, trying to be wise is not um, meritorious. It's only um, actually achieving wisdom that, that matters. Uh, and, and so they understand this uh, state of wisdom as um, a state of resonance with the uh, oscillations of the universe. So it's a, understood in this physical sense. Uh, so you as a, a body made up of um, these mixtures of other bodies and uh, this life history of events that happen to you, you um, is to achieve this state of resonance, uh, syntonia, um, you you resonate with the universe and so you are sort of accepting your your insertion into the universe uh, and uh this is um and and as we saw last week this is, they argue that this is a sort of uh 
reconciliation of freedom and determinism because you as a, an individual have your sort of um, internal resonance. You, you are sort of in charge of yourself as a, when, you're, uh, when you achieve wisdom, um, but you, you do so by resonating in harmony with the uh, frequency of the universe. Um, and so wisdom consists precisely in accepting your destiny um, and uh, sort of uh, acting in accordance with your destiny. And that's the second point that I wanted to bring up is that, that last bit of this paragraph. Um, yeah, it's all vibrations, you know, that's right. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that, that is exactly right. That their, their physics um, has to do with vibrations and uh, resonance of different frequencies with each other. So it's, it is funny that, that that has become a sort of new age um, um, idea that, that is uh, prominent today. I don't, I don't know if there's any sort of um, historical connection between those two or if it's just a, a coincidence that they ended up um, sharing the same kind of uh, general general picture. Um, but yeah, the what the second point that I wanted to bring up is this notion of this image of um, a life history as um, the uncoiling of a, a cable um, where um, everything that happens in that life history or everything, all the different um, uh, sort of events that happen as you uncoil that cable are all sort of already there um, in the cable as it's coiled up. So um, your your entire life history is part of this destiny that is um, already present before you were born, uh, just in, in the way that the universe is structured. And um, this, so for the Stoics, there's this notion of divine providence. Um, so everything is sort of ordered in such a way that, um, uh, you know, everything is, is ordered uh, in in accordance with an end, um, but um, Simono argues that this notion of destiny um, um, sort of uh, leaves aside one aspect of what we understand in ourselves um, as we understand ourselves as individuals. So um, he says we the Stoics save the singularity of the individual. They they have this notion of the the individual has this life history that is unique and uh, singular, but what they don't have is a, a, a way of capturing the substantiality of the individual. So the way that the individual is sort of responsible for itself or um, capable of orienting itself towards a goal uh, and selecting a goal to which uh, to be oriented. Um, and And so this notion of the destiny or, or the cable uncoiling um, is uh, uh, a complete um, rejection of anything like that doctrine, uh, uh, a rejection of the idea of um, uh, of um, having any sort of control over one's own um, destiny. Uh, so there's this uh, rejection of this notion of substantiality. Okay, um, so let's go on to the Epicurean. We'll just be able to start because I um, don't have time to uh, continue the full section on the Epicureans. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll start the Epicureans today and then we'll see how far we get. Okay, um, the Epicureans. Epicureanism is in a certain sense, in a certain sense is the contrary of Stoicism. But in fact, it stems from the same desire to discover a meaning in individual reality and to unleash it from the order of the simultaneous. 
Epicureanism is also a philosophy that seeks to discover in the being a consistency that is independent from every actual relation. But the path of the search is inverted. Instead of considering the temporal series as vaster than the human individual, who is integrated into it like an episodic role, is integrated into a vast drama, the Epicureans considered temporal genesis as involving a level quite inferior to that of the human individual. The individual is a relative being, as with the Stoics. It is not a veritable substance by itself. But with the Epicureans, it is, is it a composite? It is a composite, whereas with the Stoics, it was a component grasped in the becoming of the macrocosm. For the Stoics, veritable substantiality is quite above the human individual, whereas for the Epicureans, it is quite below. In both doctrines, the individual being remains on a level that is not the level of veritable substantiality. In the Epicurean doctrine, the atoms are what is eternal, just as in the Stoics, the macrocosm is what is eternally reborn in the rhythm of the return of the great year. Undoubtedly, unlike in Stoicism, individualities are not the inexplicable idiospoion, which is a, a fragmentation of the primitive fire, and individual destinies do not depend on celestial influences. There is no privileged moment in individual becoming, no moment in which the becoming of the individual is inserted into the vaster becoming of the cosmos through the privileged occasion, the kairos, kairos. The Epicurean individual is a part, like a world isolated from another world in the infinity of space. It is the composite being that seeks to flee from relation to conserve a precarious impenetrability that is constantly threatened. The defensive attitude of the Epicureans involves saving the instant and preserving uh, sorry, preserving the short moment of duration that the life of the individual is, not allowing it to be traversed and dilapidated by inessential relations. The results of illusions and error are fear, which makes man blind. Unlike the Stoics, the Epicureans are not those who think a new world and establish the monarchy of reason parallel with the political monarchy and its goal of conquering and unifying the world. Cosmopolitanism is not what animates the thought of, the, of Epicurus. The society that he founds is quite limited. Uh, it is a little circle wherein everyone knows everyone else individually and can isolate themselves from the city and remain independent from the great monarchic enterprise undertaken by the Stoics. Alexander's hostility, which will force Epicurus to leave Athens for several years, shows that the Society of Philosophers was really quite independent from the vast political enterprise. I think the way that the uh, the ethics of the Epicureans and the Stoics follow from their physics is is impressive and, and interesting. The kind of defensiveness of the Epicurean atomism leads them to be less like integrable, I guess, into uh, Hellenistic society. Yeah, um, the the integration of the ethics and the physics is something that is really, uh, yeah, I think you're right to call it impressive because there's a, a real um, uh, effort at systematization uh, in both the Stoics and the Epicureans. They, they want to um, have a consistent uh, understanding of the world. They want their um, physics and their ethics to be consistent with each other. Um, but they go about it in completely opposite uh, ways, even though at the level of um, sort of concrete ethical doctrines, there's actually a fair amount of, um, um, I guess, overlap or um, uh, uh, accordance between the two. So they, they, Epicureans and Stoics, they sort of give similar prescriptions for how you should live your life, um, but they come about it from a, a completely opposite direction. So um, Simondon 
sets out the contrast here between the two. Um, the Stoics have a physics and an understanding of the world in terms of um, the integration of the human being into a, an order that is much greater or, or much larger than they are. Um, whereas the, the Epicureans have um, a doctrine of the uh, uh, composition of the individual. So the individual human being is a composite out of the, the true individuals, which are the atoms. Um, and uh, the Epicurean doctrine um, um, yeah, was sort of less, uh, less conducive to um, becoming a civic doctrine in the Hellenistic and the Roman era um, compared to the Stoic doctrine. The, because the Epicurean doctrine um, is a, a sort of critical doctrine, um, it, it tends to, so in, in the case, um, we'll see this more when we get to Lucretius, but in the case of religion, um, the Epicureans argue that um, all the doctrines of the gods having um, uh, passions and uh, you know interest in human affairs and so on are, are just myths and and uh, should be um, criticized uh, and, and we can only conceive of the gods as being indifferent to human affairs um, and uh, so there's this critical aspect of the Epicurean doctrine which is not present in the Stoic doctrine uh, and and this makes it harder to sort of accept in uh, Hellenistic society, um, uh, even though the Epicureans are, are certainly not revolutionaries or sort of opposed to the the um, uh, existing social order, but they, they sort of withdraw from the order in a way that the Stoics don't. Um, I think we have time for maybe one more reading, and, uh, and then I'll have to end. Um, oh, one point before I, I read the next bit. Um, was I, I put in the chat here the definition of uh, kairos? The so the this is a, a sort of um, untranslatable term or hard to translate term, but it um, it means a, a sort of um, the 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 correct moment for something or um, this sort of um, uh, moments where things line up properly or or where something happens that. Um, in the way it was supposed to, or something along those lines, um, um, and and so in the Stoic doctrine, um, the the wise man um, achieves wisdom in in this moment, the kairos, this um, uh, privileged occasion, uh, is the term that Simonon uses here. So, um, whereas in Epicureanism, there is no um, there's no uh, sort of where the individual becomes incorporated into a, a, a whole that is greater than them. Okay, um, so I'll go on to read the next bit. Uh, uh, Epicurean physics is quite different from that of the Stoics and evinces a very different mental attitude in the conception of the individual. For the Stoics, the veritable individual is the world, an organized being whose different parts present a finality that binds them together in the dynamic unity of the whole. The source of the dynamism is in the reality of the whole in the seminal fire or artistic fire that suffuses all things by containing them. There must be an individuality of the whole so that relations between singular individuals can exist within this individuality due to its organization and the dynamic relations in which the fire is involved. The resonance that couples a resonator and an oscillator requires a milieu within which energy can propagate. According to the Stoics, energy propagates like a packet of fire that animates the whole, much more than a coupling of two identical oscillators wherein each can be an oscillator or a resonator at any moment. The Stoics saw in resonance the example of a relation between a milieu, which is vast and animated by the soul of the whole, and a singular being within this milieu. 
the milieu dominates the singular being as though the latter were suspended in the former, inundated by it. The singular individual is in a state of energetic inferiority and spatial subjection relative to the milieu. At any rate, the milieu is not limited. Its indefinite nature makes it the depository of dynamism and this self-return, this causal circularity that confers upon a being its autonomy and veritable individuality. The milieu is not the whole qua sum of all existing bodies, but the whole as active energy of the whole. The whole as unity of circulation communica communicating within itself, which is the veritable physical individual in the theory of the Stoics. In relation with the dynamic milieu, the singular individual does not itself possess a dynamism, except insofar as it receives a packet of this igneous energy that animates the dynamic milieu. One question that is difficult to fully clarify nevertheless remains. Is this dynamic milieu inert by itself, a simple vehicle which transmits the energy of the world soul to singular individuals, or instead is it the source of activity itself, the soul properly speaking? It seems that it plays both roles at the same time, and this is why the situation of the singular individual in the milieu, which not only attaches it to the whole, but also constitutes the activity of the whole, remains ambivalent. Um, oh yeah, I'll stop there for now. Um, um, yeah, hopefully um, we got all of that. Um, um, there might have been some connection issues, um, but um, yeah, so here um, Simon Dong is sort of contrasting again the Stoic physics and the Epicurean physics. Uh, so he starts by um, depicting the Stoic physics as one in which there's this um, strong notion of the influence of the milieu on the individual. Uh, and, and so when we talked about this uh, earlier when, when we were reading the part on the Stoics, um, so the the individual is always uh, penetrated by the uh, environment and um, uh, is only a sort of quasi-individual in that sense. Um, there's always uh, there's this continuity of the uh, uh, Stoic physics um, in the sense that there's no void. Everything is full. The, the universe is a full um, plenitude. Um, and this fire, the, the sort of energy of the universe penetrates everything uh, and brings about transformations in, in everything. Um, and then we'll see um, um, as we um, get to the, the next bit uh, that the Epicurean physics, by contrast, um, is a physics of uh, atoms and the void. So um, the, the atoms uh, only interact by contact with each other. So uh, one atom strikes another one and joins together with it or, or de makes it deviate from its path and so on. Um, and there's, no, there's nothing, there's no transmission of energy or um, uh, influence um, through the void. It's only by contact that atoms uh, uh, interact with each other. Um, and so we'll see um, next time the, uh, what Simon Don argues is the, uh, um, uh, the effect of this doctrine of um, atomism on the notion of the individual um, for Epicurean physics. Uh, if you still have a, a couple of minutes, um, I have been reading this book on uh, like the history of individuation in the early modern period, and it talks about like like I read the chapter on Descartes and the chapter on Spinoza, um, and it talked about, for instance, in Spinoza the individuation individuals or, or bodies being a fixed ratio of like motion and rest, whereas. For Simon Don, he always seems to reduce the individual in Spinoza to kind of substance itself. Um, and I wonder if maybe that's not like the most charitable approach to, you know, to say that 
kind of the Stoics only have the individual of the cosmos because the uh, the individuals like stones and horses and and men are uh, somehow subordinated to the individuality individuality of the cosmos. Whether you can have a notion of an individual, even if you have like a one large substance or lots of smaller substances, but that's probably uh, probably required like a, a longer yeah, discussion I think than we have time. Maybe for. we can come back to that when we get to the part on Spinoza, um, because yes, you're, you're right that Simon Don um, um, treats Spinoza as um, only having a, a notion of the individual at the level of the one substance. Uh, so the the only individual is the one substance, you know, God or nature, um, that um, uh, you know everything is a is a component of or a mode of uh, every finite being is a mode of um, the one substance. Uh, and um, Spinoza, yeah, there's exactly this doctrine of um, the formation of individuals in accordance with. Um, uh, ratios of movement and rest. Um, so an individual, uh, an individual body is a certain ratio of, of movement and rest, which is constant, um, uh, even as um, th those bodies undergo transformations. Uh, and actually, I was just reading um, Martial Guru, um, his commentary on Spinoza, and he argues that um, the model for this doctrine. In Spinoza is precisely of um, oscillating pendulums. Um, there's the idea that um, this this ratio of movement and rest is a kind of oscillation of bodies um, uh, because each pendulum has its own uh, fixed ratio at which it oscillates. Um, and likewise, there's a, a this sort of fixed ratio of um, uh, vibration or oscillation of the bodies uh, that make up an individual. Um, in Spinoza. So there's connections with the Stoic doctrine there that um, um, I hadn't really thought of before. Um, but yeah, so I think um, Simon Don uh, uh, always wants to have, um, I think, a, a univocal notion of the individual. So a, a notion of the individual that applies um, uh, to all individuals in the same way. Uh, whereas in Spinoza, there's, or in the Stoics or in other doctrines, um, certain kinds of individuals have to be understood in uh, one sense or another. Um, so the the individuality of the universe is not the same thing as the individuality of a, a human being or a horse or whatever. Um, and I, I guess we can argue whether you know a univocal notion of the individual is important or not. Um, but uh, that's sort of Simon Don's general principle. He wants to have a um, uh, a single concept of what the individual is, um, whereas these other doctrines have multiple concepts of the individual. Uh, okay, so yeah, I have to go, um, but um, yeah, thanks for coming out, and um, hopefully next week, I think next week I should be able to have the full session, so hopefully um, we'll be able to get through, we should be able to get through the Epicureans and uh, probably the section on Lucretius as well.